so yeah, um, obviously, thank you very much for agreeing to do this. I, I greatly appreciate it. No problem, mate. No problem. With, with, with the football suspended, there's there's not really much to talk about. But obviously, with Newcastle United, there is. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So firstly, what are your thoughts on it? Well, I have to say, um, I suppose my overriding um, uh, emotion is one of excitement. I have to say, I know it's probably not politically um, and morally um, the word that a lot of people are going to use, but as somebody who has football at heart and somebody who has Newcastle United at heart, I think that has to be everybody's overriding emotion, that there is excitement, that there is uh, anticipation, um, that we do hope that this is the turning of a corner and this is the advent of a, a new era at Newcastle United. And I know, um, and I'm sure we'll talk about, you know, the possible pitfalls, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I think first and foremost, you have to see this as an opportunity and you have to see this as a hugely exciting opportunity. So, yeah, that, that would be my... Uh, overriding emotion. That, that's exactly my point of view. Of course, there's been a lot of opposition to it from various organisations, but from our perspective as, as, as supporters, mm. the opportunity to compete with the likes of Manchester City and Liverpool, which this could well bring, is, is hugely appealing. So I, I can understand why the majority of Newcastle supporters are in favour. I think there's a poll that said about 97% mm. are in favour. Obviously, you know, it, it's very appealing, the fact that we could end up being towards the top half of the league again. Mm. Of course, with that comes the opposition because of the, the sort of the background of the potential investors. So what do you make of um, the opposition from the likes of Amnesty International, being Sports, and of course, journalists such as Richard Keyes who have had their say? Well, I mean, I, I can understand it to a degree. I mean, the one thing, you know, you, you mentioned a lot of words there and a lot of adjectives, etc. Uh, the other thing that this is as well is, and this is maybe where it worries me slightly, because on the face of it, um, it does seem a little strange. It is also incredibly flattering to be in the same ballpark as Paris Saint-Germain and Manchester yeah. City. Now, regardless of what you think as Paris, of, of Paris Saint-Germain as a football club, um, because the French Liga isn't particularly good and, you know, they are a football club uh, essentially built on money, et cetera, et cetera. What, you know, what, what you thought of Manchester City prior to their takeover. Um, but basically, you know, Newcastle are now potentially um, in a three-tier team, you know, in, in, a, in, a, in a club of, of three members who are Manchester City, um, Paris Saint-Germain, um, and, and Newcastle and you know I suppose that is flattering but at the same time maybe that maybe that slightly worries me that you know um, are, are, why, are, why are these people buying Newcastle United as opposed to um, a Manchester United or an Arsenal or a whoever um, and in terms of the um, opposition you know Saudi Arabia's record on human rights etc etc isn't particularly good it isn't good at all um and you know you will always get opposition um to anything i mean this is why we live in a democracy this is why we live in the world we live in um but newcastle can't um they can't dictate uh who comes along and buys them they can't you know it, it, it's not as if they actively went out and sought um He's their buyer you know that they they are at this minute in time 
the innocent party in this. And, and, and I use the word in a, in a non-political sense. You know, they are just a football club in the northeast of England who one day took a call or Mike Ashley took a call or a, a text or a knock on the door or whatever. And a, an incredibly wealthy group of individuals said, we want to buy your football club. Now, they can't do anything about that. You know, they, 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 as I say, it's not as if they sought out um, Saudi Arabia and, and sought out Amanda Staveley. You know, obviously there is a history now with Amanda Staveley mm. um, and Newcastle United. Um, but, you know, all Newcastle can do is, for want of a better phrase, make themselves available to potential buyers um, and see what happens. Um, and the opposition that comes with that you know, would would have come with that had it had it been probably one of a number of uh, of potential buyers. So I think I think at this minute in time, you, you just have to sit back and see what the Premier League have to say about it. Say you know, see what government has to say about it, because you know it's it's not in 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 Newcastle United's hands, and it's unrealistic, as you say there, for ninety seven percent of the of Newcastle's fan base to turn around and say we're appalled at the possibility of this this purchase and we're going to protest and we're going to do this and we're going to do that you know and going back to the sports washing argument um you know Newcastle as I say they're not actively seeking um you know the Saudi money they haven't done what Anthony Joshua did and go out to the Middle East and fight or Djokovic and Nadal going out there and putting on tennis exhibitions or, or the WWE wrestlers, likewise, you know, you know, that for me condones what's going on an awful lot more than basically, you know, sitting uh, in, in your offices in, in the northeast of England and, and taking a call. So it's, it, it's very, very difficult and it, and it is fraught with danger. But at the end of the day, Newcastle can only do what Newcastle can do. And that is decide whether they wish to be purchased by this group of people. And don't forget, we haven't heard what um, these people have got to say. You know, you know we, we don't know what their motives are. I mean, this is, you know, this is where I would temper my enthusiasm for it. We don't genuinely know what their motives are. We don't know what their plans are. But if we look at, I think, if we look at what, you know, Manchester City and the Abu Dhabis, who's, again, you know, their record on, on, on dealing with people hasn't been great. If, if we look at what Manchester City and, 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 and Abu Dhabi have done together, then I think there's room for manoeuvre. I think, you know, I think um, that if they behave properly, you know, if they behave as uh, honourable people and have football at heart and, and manage to, uh, in some way, cement a relationship with uh, the people of the North East, because, you know, jobs will be created, you know, there are, there are all manner of knock-on effects that are positive. You know, people at this minute are, are, are concentrating very much on the negatives. There will, be, there will be a huge amount of positives come out of this, regardless of whether it means Newcastle are, are prospective champions or, or how Newcastle are doing on the field of football. In terms of an investment in, in the North East, absolutely, if it's done properly, if their motives are honourable, um, if they're proper people, and, and, and I have to say, all the times I've been across to the Etihad, um, I've got school friends whose sons work for Manchester City and have spoken to, 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 to them about what it's like to work at the Etihad for these people. 
they say nothing but good. You know, they've, they've built further education colleges, uh, they've helped local communities. So, you know, let's, let's not just talk about the negatives of, of Saudi Arabia. Let's talk about what the possible injection of a huge amount of money could not only do for Newcastle United Football Club, but for Newcastle upon Tyne as a city and the northeast of England as a region. Hmm. I mean, you just have to look at, say, the area around the Etihad Stadium, all the training ground has been massively updated. And of course, a lot of supporters would probably look at our training ground and think, well, that needs a bit of a bit of an uplift, considering some of the images you've seen from years gone by, players bathing in ice baths, which are essentially just hmm. packed. But as, I say, as you say, there's a lot of investment that could come into the local area. One thing I did want to talk about was... Um, Newcastle fans have sort of been made the scapegoats for all these problems. I've read a lot of things on Twitter saying, obviously, this, the fiancé of that journalist who was unfortunately killed in mm-hmm. turn, um, she's just written an open letter to Newcastle supporters urging them to resist the takeover. But it's not really something that, that us as supporters we can do. It's not, as you mentioned, it's not our Absolutely. choice. It is completely out of the hands of the rank and file. Newcastle United. I mean, with regard to, to, to Jamal Khashoggi uh, um, and his, you know, fiance, I, I, I have I have feelings. I have uh, sympathy for her because you know, if if she genuinely believes um, that a crime was committed, if she genuinely believes um, there is the blood on the hands of those who might be involved with the purchase of Newcastle United, with regard to to her fiance's. Um, uh, murder stroke killing um, mm. then I can understand that but th- this is this is completely out of the hands um, of Newcastle United fans um, and as I say it's down to the government who in the past not only have they not seemingly had a problem with Saudi Arabia but have actively encouraged relations with Saudi Arabia um, and uh, you know and have uh, turned a blind eye in many ways to a lot of things that might have been going on in the Middle East. Um, likewise, the Premier League, you know, there's a football club at Bramble Lane called Sheffield United, who have mm-hmm. fairly close links uh, with those in the Middle East. Um, and the other thing is as well is, you know, that the fit and proper person's um, um, criteria that the Premier League uh, will go into tends to concentrate on things like insolvency, in history of bankruptcy, um, in history, uh, in, in a history of, uh, of, of crimes that have been committed. Now, these people have, you know, they're, they're not in that, that league. They're not in, in that, amongst that group of people. You know, they are a sovereign state. We are potentially going to be only the third club in the world owned by a sovereign state so it's very much out you know it's very difficult for the premier you know they may somewhere down the line change their criteria they may somewhere down the line change their test but at this minute in time they're not prepared and uh, you know Manchester City in exactly the same way that Newcastle United have have been the subject of a a bid from a state uh, a sovereign state you know it went through without too much problem with Manchester City and I expect the same to happen with Newcastle United. Now, whether as a result of this, they change their procedure and they change their criteria on who can and can't own uh, football clubs and Premier League football clubs, has, you know, it remains to be seen. But at the minute, as I, as I keep saying, and I, I hate to use the word innocent because it, it does seemingly politicise the whole uh, issue, 
you know, Newcastle United are helpless in all this. They are just at the centre of a bid uh, to be bought. Uh, and Mike Ashley is in a position to sell his football club um, for a certain amount of money from a certain group of people. Now, whether people like those group of people, whether they agree with that group of people, whether they think that group of people are associated with a regime in the Middle East, which has a very poor record on human rights, Newcastle can do nothing about that. Absolutely nothing about that. And we don't, you know, and, and, and if, I'm sure, knowing Newcastle United fans as I do, if within a fairly short period of time, if the, if the takeover goes through, um, it does appear that there may well be um, other motives afoot on the part of the new owners. I'm sure Newcastle fans, as they would do with, as they have done with Mike Ashley, to be fair, mm-hmm. you know, they, they will find that they will dislike those people and, 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 and actively seek to oppose those people. So let's just wait and see. So are you in the camp of that you're confident the tests will be passed by this I, team? I, I see absolutely no uh, reason to suppose that this takeover won't go through. I mean, I know, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I suspect some people are just doing it out of mischief um, and are suggesting there's more of a problem than there is. All I know is if you look at what's happened previously in, in football, what's happened with the Manchester City takeover, um, whether um, government are likely to intervene, government are highly, highly unlikely to intervene because they, as I say, they have a relationship with, with Saudi Arabia um, and I don't think they'll want to jeopardise that. And likewise, the, the Premier League will see this as an opportunity to get more wealth into the Premier League, to get more global exposure into the Premier League. And at this minute in time, unless, as I say, you accuse Newcastle's potential owners of uh, having ulterior motives and see them as directly involved in untoward practices, um, then it's a very difficult one to oppose because they, you know, they pass the test, you know, the, the, the fit and proper person's tests as far as the Premier League are concerned, as I say, basically revolve around whether financially mm-hmm. the buyers uh, are capable of going through with the deal without obviously falling foul of, of, of insufficient funds. Now, I don't, no- see, I, I don't see any time soon that these people are not going to yeah. have enough money to buy Newcastle United. Even if they took out the Saudis, the Ruben brothers alone would have enough to buy 16 the club. Bi- I mean, £16 billion is, is the reported wealth, I think, of the Ruben brothers. Yes, now, not- now, now Mike, Mike Ashley, I think, top whack was somewhere between 2 and 3 million, uh, 2 and 3 billion. So mm-hmm. you're talking about incredibly, incredibly wealthy people. And I, I think, ultimately, that's all the Premier League will look at. Exactly. It can't be a bad thing to have potentially another team fighting for the title or go, yeah. go in the top. Because it, it's, you know, creating a better brand, better games to watch, surely. I think if the Rubin brothers were just by themselves, they would be second on the list of the wealthy owners just behind the Manchester City owners. Yeah, yeah. I think in. So, as I say, there's, there's no question of funds being an issue whatsoever. It's just down to the tests. But if we're to believe what you say, then the tests will be passed and happy days hopefully obviously their their motives in other sectors may be up for questioning but from a footballing point of view and from a, a local economy point of view surely it can only be good well as i say it's 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 where you draw the line down you know it, you know 
we, we had a World Cup only two years ago in Russia. And if you look at Russia's record on human rights, right. amongst That's other things, in, in two years' time, we're going to have another World Cup in Qatar. Oh. Again, they have problems with issues like this. So, you know, if, if, if football's authorities are going to turn a blind eye to the host nation of the World Cup, football's number one and premier uh, stage on which it displays its goods, then I, I, I just don't see it this middle of time. Uh, you know, uh, they, they would have to come up with an extraordinary case against mm. um, Amanda Staveley and her backers in order to oppose this, um, oppose this takeover and, and, and to oppose this purchase of the football club. And I, I don't see it happening. I don't know why people um, are surprised that it's taking a bit of time. I mean, the whole world's in standstill at the moment, you know? Nothing is happening at the moment. People, you know, people, people can't bury their loved ones, God bless them, at this minute in time, because paperwork's not going through. Um, you, know, you know, people can't buy houses because paperwork's not going through. So the £300 million acquisition of a Premier League football club is not going to happen in a heartbeat, is it? It's going to take a bit of time. Um, so, you know, I think, I think again, it's, it's down to mischievousness. It's down to, to people just wanting um, to try and pick holes um, in a deal. Um, now, ultimately, whether it worked or not um, remains to be seen. Um, and there are issues to be discussed with regard to um, the way that, you know, people carry on in Saudi Arabia. But whether, that, you know, whether that applies to this takeover remains to be seen. That sort of brings me on to my next point. Obviously, with the Premier League being more tied up, surely, in Project Restart, as, they, as it's been dubbed by mm. bodies, what are your thoughts on attempts to restart the league? Obviously, we're going to see the, the Bundesliga restart this weekend. Mm. Uh, Syria has just announced potential plans to restart as well. Yeah. Um, do you see this as as the season, be, this is the right way to end the season on sporting merit, or should there just be a points per game system, or just no I, 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 I have a, I have a major problem with it, both as a football purist and as a moralist. Um, as a football purist, my argument is that, and it's not as if there are two or three games remaining. It's not as if you know we're just gonna we're just gonna play out the final moments of a season, um, and nobody really has a case to to answer in terms of, you know, should we or shouldn't we? We are looking to play out a quarter of the season, a quarter of the season, nine games. Sheffield United and Manchester City have 10 games remaining. We're not talking about a small amount of football. What we're talking about is a huge number of games which will decide issues on the basis that games will be played potentially, we don't know yet, could be played on neutral venues, could be played behind closed doors, could be played with five substitutes, could be played with halves of less than 45 minutes, could be played with this, could be played with that. It's not the same game. It's not the same product. It's not the same platform. It's not the same sport, almost, mm. as, as the one that for 29 games decided who was first and who was 20th in the Premier League. So from a footballing purist point of view, I have a real problem with it. And I have real sympathy for clubs like Brighton and Hove Albion who are fighting for their Premier League lives um, and have something like four of their last five games against top, top teams and are being told, 
they're going to have to play those games in a neutral venue with no crowd whatsoever in a in a plastic sanitized environment which won't help them in their fight to try and stay in the premier league and then on top of that on a moralistic point of view while people are dying while people are losing their lives should we really be playing competitive sport should we really be playing professional sport and providing entertainment on you know presumably television initially and then maybe somewhere down the line in front of crowds i mean i just thought off the top of my head and i don't know whether this argument applies totally and people might think this is a silly argument people might think it's an argument that holds water but i can remember vividly the morning after princess diana died and i remember we were due to play at liverpool that day and we were jumping in a car at 9am or whatever it was to go to anfield and i remember we rang round one another and we said, are we going to the game? We can't go to the game. We can't play a game of football today, you know? And we jumped in a car. And I remember we got, as, we got about as far as the outskirts of Leeds or some of that. Like, and I, and I, we, we took a call in the car saying the game's been called off. And I remember myself, and funnily enough, it was Ian Dennis, who was at BBC at the time, at uh, BBC Newcastle. I was at Metro. And we just said, thank God sanity has prevailed. Thank God common sense has kicked in. It had taken a bit of time to do it, but they'd called the game off. Now, I know, I know Princess Diana is, is high profile. I know it's a member of the royal family. I know it's, it's a slightly different argument. But at the end of the day, that game was called off in due respect of somebody who'd lost their life. You know? Now, again, I, I, you know, I, I know it, it might be a stretch in terms of whether people think it's an argument. But... Are you telling me that we call a game off because a member of the royal family dies, but if 640 people die that day, and we don't know whether the figures are going to come down, we don't know where we stand in terms of, of the curve at this moment in time, we still play football, you know? I, you know, I, I don't get it. I don't get it. Society, for me, uh, has to, for want of a better word, normalise an awful lot more before I'm comfortable with playing these games of football. And as I say, as a, as a real footballing purist, I barely see them as games of football. I certainly don't see them as competitive Premier League games, which will dictate who is promoted, who is relegated, who potentially wins an FA Cup and who doesn't win an FA Cup. And I think, you know, the, the, the sooner players get involved in this, because as we all know, Players are the movers and shakers. Players are the most important people in the game. It's all well and good. The sponsors, the TV companies, the managers, no, well, not, not, not so much the managers, but directors and owners of football club who, who are desperate to justify and fulfil the contract that will get them the sponsors' money, the TV money, etc. You know, players need to get a grip of this because, again, at the end of the day, it's the players who are in jeopardy. It's the players who are at risk. And those players that we've heard from you know, Danny Rose at Newcastle, um, we've heard from one or two others. Those that have raised their head above the parapet seem to me to be pretty, pretty sceptical about the prospect of playing these games. So, you know, at this minute in time, my, my answer would be on both morally, uh, on, on both moralistic and pure, you know, pure footballing grounds, I would, I would hang fire on it. I, 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 I have been of the opinion that it should have been voided, that the, 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 the season should be voided. If there is conceivably a real positive change um, in the way that this country 
uh, is dealing with uh, COVID-19 in the next two or three weeks, then maybe, maybe. But not if it means playing games in neutral stadiums behind closed doors. I don't, I don't get it. I don't, I, I don't think, it, you know, who, who, wants to be, who wants to be remembered as the team that won the Premier League when the last nine games? I mean, I know it's incredibly harsh on Liverpool, incredibly harsh. And uh, they're a football club I've got a lot of time for, and they are deserving winners of the Premier League. But I'm sorry, they wouldn't be winning the Premier League. They would, they would be winning a 29-game season that never finished. So with that being said, do you just completely cancel it and not give them the title? Or would you do what the French League have done and cancel mm. it if Paris Saint-Germain the title? But I, I'm not sure if they relegate any teams or not. But... I don't. I don't know. I mean, I, I thought one of the most pertinent um, things that has been said uh, uh, of late um, was the mayor of Liverpool, who said that you know um, the Premier it should be voided, that the football season should be should should be stopped. Now, I don't know whether he went on to say, but Liverpool should still be given the title. But I think it was, I think it was very ballsy of a guy who's the mayor of Liverpool to That's come out it. and say that. Uh, you know, and I've got a huge amount of time for Jurgen Klopp. And you know, there's a there's a part of me that that would love to think that Liverpool was such a such a good club and such a well-run club and such a um, uh, an honest club that they might just say, okay, you know, this has been an act of God. This has been something that none of us, none of us, understand at this minute in time. None of us could legislate for. Let's just call it quits because you know what it is? We'll win the Premier League next time around. We'll win it properly next time. And we'll be, this, we'll be seen as the team who didn't argue about whether we should be champions or not. We've got enough faith in our own ability. We've got enough faith in our football team. We've got enough self-belief to say we'll win it properly next time. You know, I would love that to happen. But, you know, that might, it, it, might, it might be out of the hands of the players. It might be out of the hands of the likes of Jurgen Klopp. They might, they might feel with some justification they should be given the title. But as I, as I said a few moments ago, you know, I just wonder who genuinely wants to be remembered as the team that won the title that wasn't really the title. You know, mm-hmm. it, was, it, was, it was either the league which was played out in, in a plastic environment with no crowds and no meaning or, you know, just just void it and and see what happens next time around. I've I've heard some suggestions that you know don't relegate teams, but then obviously then you have a not effective Leeds and West Brom who are in the Absolutely. same. Absolutely. Of course, but, from a moralistic point of view, obviously, well, more of an economic economic actually. Obviously, there's a lot of money involved with mm. season tickets and TV rights. So then it's it, it's a complete minefield. I spoke to John Anderson about this not too long ago. And he was telling me it's a complete minefield as to money and like obviously shares and TV deals as to what happens with all of that. So I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on? But but but, it, but you know, but it but it's no different. Everybody's going through this. You know, everybody is yeah. affected. You know, it's been affected by this in some shape or form. And uh, you know, and for, and for and for people who think that that's a problem in life. Imagine being the guy who, or, or, or the woman who woke up this morning was told they've got no job to go back to because they work on the airlines or because they work in the hospitality sector or because of, you know, everybody's been massively affected by this in some shape or form. And I'm afraid to say, 
in a multi, multi million, multi billion pound business like football, the you know the the non closure and non-finishing of this contract and that con you know you know there's almost an audacity about the fact that you know premier league clubs are worrying about this you know how many football clubs are going to go to the wall after, over this you know how many lower league teams will just not recover from this you know in the same way there are people you know sitting at home now worrying about whether their business is going to is ever going to recover football clubs are going to say you know some of the lower league football clubs work hand to mouth. They work day to day. They work week to week. They've lost seven weeks of their livelihood. They could lose another two months. They won't recover from this. They cannot recover from this. You know, you know for, for years and years and years, I've always banged on about as lovely as it is and as romantic as it is, it has been incredibly unrealistic for this country to continue to run 92 professional football league teams when the rest of the world runs nowhere near it you know what i mean you know the, the the germans and the french you know they might have a first division they might have a second division but after that it's regionalized it's amateur you know we have 92 professional clubs and then we have non-league under that we 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 have you know we have a completely unrealistic economic um model in terms of football and this sadly might be the straw that breaks the camel's back so, you know, for everybody worrying about whether the Premier League should finish or not, spare a thought for the next Berry, spare a thought for, for the next Bradford Park Avenue, you know, because there are going to be plenty of teams who just will not come back. You know, when, when the football season starts again, when football starts again, I think I can sit here and pretty much guarantee you that there is absolutely no way on earth there will be 92, never mind 82, football league clubs. You know, they're already talking about maybe restructuring it regionally, like once upon a time they used to have to. You know, the, the world of football is going to look a very, very different place. And sadly, the only people who will continue on their merry way will continue, you know, reaping the rewards and living the life will be the Premier League. Because even championship clubs are going to struggle out of this. They've, they've got to decide whether they finish their season. You know, it, it's, 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 it's going to be an absolute minefield. So I am not going to, I, I'm not going to lose a, a second of sleep worrying about the Premier League and, 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 and the Premier League's misfortune and the fact that they can't uh, fulfil contracts, etc. You know, they are living the life. They are, they are, they are living the dream. Um, but, you know, contracts that finish on the 30th of June, it's not going it, to, you know, to try and to try and create the 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 argument that you know somebody's going to suffer as a result of contracts um, not being fulfilled on the thirtieth of June is a nonsense, absolute nonsense. Yes, I, I think obviously there's a lot to there's a lot to deal with, but as you say, there's so much more important things oh. going on. Yes, yeah, so. As I said, with that being said, I think that can probably wrap up the interview. Thank you very much, Mick. No, you're welcome, mate. You're welcome. Thank you very much.